With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to episode 84 of the Cost Per Pointcast. I'm your host, Trevor Shackles. Well, folks, today's episode is going to be a first. It's just going to be me today, so hopefully you won't get sick of my voice. It'll certainly be shorter today, and not going to lie, it'll feel a bit strange not asking somebody a bunch of questions, but at the same time, I feel like I have so many thoughts that I want to share anyway, so let's just get into it. So, the Senators have been playing for two weeks now, and after nine games, they have a paltry record of 1-7-1. And, and in fact, since they were up 3-1 against the Jets in their third game, they've been outscored 37-12. 37-12. Ottawa came into Vancouver as the Canucks had a 2-5-0 record, and people here in Vancouver were freaking out about the team. And despite that, the Canucks outscored them 16-3. I mean, I guess the good news is that they first lost 7-1, then 5-1, then 4-1, and then the last game against Edmonton was 8-5, so progress maybe? However, I've never seen such a vast difference in fan morale than from the first game of the season to now. The Sens beat the Leafs 5-3, and everyone was so happy that they were finally back. And then, of course, you get some of those thoughts like, So, uh, think they can actually do this thing? Jokes were made about Rome being built in a day, a reference to their inaugural game in 1992, wherein they also won 5-2. Funnily enough, that team didn't get another win until game 23, which this iteration of the Senators is trying their best to repeat. Now, I'd be lying if I said I had high hopes for this team this season. You can go back to last episode in here where I say I expected them to finish last with around 50 points or so. So the fact that they're not playing well isn't surprising, but the way they've been doing it is just extremely frustrating. For starters, we've been without Senators hockey since last March, and we just want to see good, competitive, and interesting hockey in order to keep us entertained and hopeful for the future. Secondly, a lot was made about their acquisitions in the offseason, and Pierre Dorian made it seem like as if the team was a lot better than people were giving them credit for. And Ottawa was sort of a low-key team that might surprise some people, and there, there was an expectation that they would at least be an exciting team to watch. It's still very early in the season, but I'm not exaggerating when I say they've been one of the most frustrating teams to watch, and there are plenty of individual reasons for that. Thirdly, one of the main reasons 2021 has been maddening is the lineup decisions from DJ Smith. It's honestly insane how quickly the fan base has turned on him, considering the general consensus from last year was that he deserved like a B, B plus, or even an A minus grade for his role. And I will say, he's been better the past few games as he's finally keeping Colin White in the lineup, but there were some massive head scratchers early on. White was scratched for, for four games because, uh... Artem Anisimov, Derek Stepan, Cedric Paquette, and Austin Watson deserve a spot more, I guess? I just truly did not understand that, because White is supposed to be a guy that you're sort of building around, right? I, I get that he's probably overpaid, but he's here for the next five seasons, and we already know that he's good enough to be in the lineup. He's 24, this isn't an unestablished teenager we're dealing with here. 
I get that maybe he had some bad practices or whatever, but is your leash really going to be that short on a player who you've committed years to? I, I, I just can't buy the argument that he isn't or wasn't better, playing better, that, that is, than those veterans that I mentioned in Anisimov, Stepan, Paquette, and Watson. And even if he wasn't, so what? You're not going to bench Thomas Shabbat if he has a few bad games in a row. Nobody cares about the Paquettes and Anisimovs of the team, but you sure could do a lot of damage to a guy like White who might feel slighted. Bench him for a game because he was dogging it? Fine. But he was scratched on the first game of the season. Plus, he's looked pretty solid so far. Easily one of the, one of their hardest workers. And now he has three points in five games. It seems like he's in the lineup for good now. And he better be because that was easily the most frustrating decision from DJ so far. And besides that, his fascination with Paquette has been strange. I'd much rather see Galchenyuk or even Schlopik there because you don't actually know what you have with the latter two. But you already know that Paquette is not going to be, be giving you good minutes. Scratching Christian Willanen was also not a popular decision early on, and for good reason. It's very similar to the White situation where there's just no upside to playing a guy like Braden Coburn over him because while Coburn used to be very good, he's 36 now and clearly not what he once was. Meanwhile, Willanen is turning 26 in May, so he's not very young anymore, but he hasn't gotten a full chance yet due to injuries and you know just being in college. He had some hiccups in his first four games, but he's also one of what? two or three defensemen who can actually move the puck well on this team. So the Senators need to know what they have in Willannon, and his upside is easily the second highest on this team, especially if you're not having Eric Branstrom play. Having said that, it'd be great to see others like Logan Brown, Eric Branstrom, Alex Formanton, and Vitaly Abramov eventually as well, especially Brown and Branstrom. And Brown can't even do anything right now to show that he deserves a chance, and even when the AHL hopefully starts, I have no idea what they expect him to do to quote-unquote earn a spot since he's already been a point-per-game player there. I think it'd be a massive disservice to everyone if Brown doesn't get at least 15-20 games this season because otherwise you haven't even been able to get a complete picture of him. Branstrom deserves playing time too just because of how dreadful the defense is, so I'd be curious to see what he can do and hopefully that's soon. Overall, DJ seems to be prioritizing toughness over more talented players. Biggest example is bringing in Michael Haley. And I'm not loving some of the red flags so far with how he's handled White, Willannon, and the veterans. And the other thing that really got people going was after that OT loss to the Jets, he said that they had made some, quote, young mistakes, unquote, which was absolutely asinine considering their top line was dominant. And it was their vets who blew the lead at the end of the game. And let's be clear, all coaches have their blind spots, and it's impossible to like everything in everything they do, but it's not a great start for DJ. And things haven't gotten better over the past few games with lineup decisions, so I'm hoping that keeps improving, but fans have higher expectations now. And as I mentioned earlier on, a lot was made about Doran's offseason acquisitions, with the mainstream media crediting him for these veteran additions, while not everyone in the fan base was exactly ecstatic with all of them. So I wanted to go through all of them and see if they've done better, worse, or about the same as our expectations before the season. So if we start in net, we have Matt Murray, and ah, it's it's been rough. He's only played seven games, but he has a paltry 849 save percentage. 849. And the sad thing is that it's not just solely because of awful defending, although it, that's definitely a factor. He's also dead last in the league for goal saved above expected with 
negative 9.76. So for those of you who are unaware of this stat, what that means is he's allowed almost 10 more goals than he's expected to based on the quality of shots that he's faced. So based on that, he should have a 903 save percentage, which obviously speaks to how poor the defense is as well, because, you know, even 903 is a still still a pretty terrible mark. But 849 is just incomprehensible. And it's still incredibly early and he can turn things around, but he's got himself in such a hole that mathematically it's going to be hard to get a save percentage close to league average this year. And honestly, if the expansion draft were tomorrow, there's zero chance I would protect him because I can't imagine Seattle would want to take him at another three years with a cap hit of $6.25 million. And I really hope Ottawa thinks the same because if the Kraken do take him, they might actually be saving the Senators from a bad contract, which is not a great sign. We're thinking that just a few weeks into his tenure after being touted as a really big acquisition in the offseason. Now, I'm not going to fully give up on Murray yet because the season is obviously incredibly strange and there could be other factors at play there, such as confidence, but it is extremely worrisome that over the past four seasons, he's really only been good in one of them. And even in that year, in 1819, in where he had a 919 save percentage, his goal saved above expected was negative 0.8, meaning the defense in front of him was so good that he should have had a high, that high of a save percentage anyway. So I'd be lying if I said I'm not worried about the trend lines because we're moving further and further away from his stretch of dominance in 2016 and 2017. And in an incredibly cruel twist of fate, it's wild to think that this is the guy, this is the guy who pretty much cost the Senators a chance at the Stanley Cup in 2017, right? If he doesn't replace Fleury, I'm not sure the Penguins win the Cup. Well, I'm not, I'm not sure the Penguins even get past Ottawa. He's given up way too many soft goals, and people are going to turn on, on him pretty quick if he isn't at least average moving forward and in fact I have seen a lot of a lot of people turn on him and it's 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 hard not to to be honest and the sad thing is that Marcus Hogberg has also looked dreadful with an even worse 845 save percentage in just four games so that's either a sign that their goaltending needs a huge upgrade or a sign that their defense is horrendous or hopefully just a sign that the goalies are taking a while to get their legs under them and it's probably a combination of all three but something's got to give there Moving on to the defense, Dorian brought in Braden Coburn, Erica Branson, and Josh Brown. Starting with Coburn, he obviously came in with different circumstances as Otto was able to get a second round pick to, to take him and Paquette. So I was totally fine with that. Totally fine with that. What I'm less keen on is the fact that he's played all but two games for the Sens despite looking dreadful out there. And like I said before, you know, this is a guy who has had a very solid career. You know, I'd been a pretty consistent second pairing guy, but that's not what he is anymore. So I just hope that he doesn't keep Christian Willannon out of the lineup once Willannon is healthy again. Who knows, um, you know, when that'll be. Because almost everyone found that maddening that Coburn was playing ahead of Willannon. Um, so I had zero expectations for Coburn this year. So I guess he's about what we expected and not worse. I don't know, but not exactly calling that a win. For a good Branson, I can't comment on the locker room aspect because he's obviously an assistant cap captain, and I know that he's been applauded for his leadership roles in the past, 
And I know that he's a good person, so I'm fine with him being here for a year. Although his on-ice on results have been pretty much more of the same. And some people came into the season willing to give him a chance to see what, what he can do. But he's 28 and had played 518 games with very poor results before coming to Ottawa. So I wasn't expecting him to even be a decent contributor on the ice. Then with Josh Brown, I've got to say I'm pretty disappointed with how he's looked so far, especially considering literally just last episode I was talking about how he could be a guy that, uh, you know, surprises the team and, and some fans, and he's been anything but. Um, you know, I had some hopes that he could at least be a solid depth guy, which they desperately need on the right side just so badly, but he's been just as bad as everyone else. Some of that could be a result of not having good teammates, but that's a bit of a cop-out, to be honest. He only has a 38.95 expected goals for percentage while he's on the ice, and he's been on the ice for seven even-strength goals against and just one four. It's pretty brutal. You know, it's great if you can be physical, which is clearly something the Senators prioritized in the offseason, but he looks extremely lost with the puck. And therefore, Brown has definitely looked worse than I had hoped. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Moving to the forwards, they brought in Evgeny Dadanov, Alex Galchenyuk, Derek Stepan, Austin Watson, and Cedric Paquette. Starting with Dadanov, when Ottawa made that signing, I don't think there was a single person upset with it, and most people were calling it a steal, myself included. You know, Ottawa hasn't had an impact free agent signing like that since Sergei Gonchar, and you can argue that Dadanov is even better given that Gonchar was already 36. Now, Dadanov had averaged 66 points per season over the past three years, and although we knew he's 31 and wouldn't have Barkov and Huberto anymore, we were still expecting solid top six production from him. You know, he was supposed to be one of the few things that we could count on on this team. And to his credit, he's been a bit unlucky at times, but overall, he's not been nearly good enough. He's had just three points in nine games, with his only goal coming from a shot that somehow slid past Connor Hellebuck. I'd be floored if he doesn't get back to at least a 40 to 50 point form, but for now, it's been pretty ugly. And luckily, his contract is only three years three years long, so even if the worst-case scenario comes true, they can handle that $5 million per season. And we can certainly be patient with him, but I understand the frustration after, you know, he hasn't been very impressive. Next is Galchenyuk, who I'm not entirely sure why he's even here. Ottawa clearly needs offense, although they need everything. And Galchenyuk has been able to provide a bit of a spark at times. He's obviously only played three games, though, and he has one power play goal in that time, which was an absolute laser beam against the Jets. Is he a limited player? Of course, but I thought he'd at least get a chance to be this year's Anthony Duclair, and he's been anything but because he hasn't gotten an opportunity to. He's only here on a one-year deal, so you can't call the signing a bust or anything, but he hasn't provided the value that you'd hope for so far. Then Derek Stepan is, I don't know, just sort of there right now. I hardly ever noticed him out there. And to be fair, he was mainly brought in to be a veteran presence for this team. 
still though they started him in the top six with the hope that he'd bounce back after a couple of rough seasons and he has just two points in eight games he's not quick enough to play with a guy like Stutzla and giving up a second round pick for him doesn't look any better than it did at the time he's gonna have to really pick it up if they want to recoup any sort of value for him at the deadline because maybe they can get like a fifth for him but I'm not sure who's paying more than that for someone who clearly can't play in the top six anymore and then with Austin Watson, you know, he's done what he, he was brought in to do, which is get a lot of hits, fight some guys, get under their skin. That's the type of player he is. Now, his overall impact hasn't been very strong since he gets killed possession-wise when he's out there, but he has somehow scored three goals, and I know a lot of people like his game, so I'm not too worried about the, his spot. Having said that, he's signed for another two years after this, and I hope he isn't going to be taking away a, a roster spot from someone more useful down the line, because... Although Smith and Doran love having that one tough guy in the lineup, I just disagree that you need someone like him. But again, it's fine, and he's been as advertised. And he has been one of their, you know, toughest workers, I guess. And, um, you know, that's not a, a bad sign. Lastly, Cedric Paquette has somehow played in eight of the nine games, and I don't think a single fan wants him in the lineup like I talked about earlier. He really doesn't bring anything much at all, and he's just been dragging his team down when he's out there. And even if his role was to be this tough player, they have way too many of those guys already. So I really don't see, like, we don't need to see more of Paquette on that fourth or even the third line. I'll still take the trade that brought him here because of that pick. You know, getting a second round pick is great. And, you know, he's been about as advertised, which is not very good. So we'll leave it at that with Paquette. Overall, there are nine acquisitions with none of them performing better than expected, I would say. About four to six maybe performing worse, depending on your expectations. And then I guess a couple that are about the same. Not exactly a ringing endorsement of Ottawa's pro scouting so far. And so here's the thing about bringing in quote-unquote quality veterans. If those veterans are your worst players then are they actually setting a good example for your young guys? So many of these guys haven't even been senators for more than a few months too, so you can't just create a culture that quickly. It's why it was frustrating to lose role players that could have easily been bridges to that next generation. Mark Stone is the most obvious example, but if you want to say that he was never going to happen, then fine, I'm not going down that route. But you cannot tell me that it was going to be impossible to keep Dylan DeMello and Mark Borvietsky you know, DeMello would have made the D so much more palatable, and Bora would have been the perfect leader while also being at least a bit better than some of their other options. So stripping down the team to its bones is fine. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a big proponent of going big or going home with these, with these kind of rebuilds. But you can't just plug in random veterans who aren't very good and expect magic to happen. It's not going to happen. So to say that the acquisitions have been underwhelming so far would be a massive understatement and it hasn't looked good for Dorian so far now however something positive to look at is the main reason we still have hope for this dreadful addiction we have with this organization is the young players nobody has been lighting up other teams but the first line of Brady Kachuk Josh Norris and Drake Batherson which has sort of been changed around recently but nevertheless they've easily been their best line 
And honestly, one of the most effective in the league. They have a 60.60 expected goals for percentage, despite only having one 5-on-5 goal and four against. Clearly, they've had some bad luck and deserve a lot more than that. And Kachuk is, again, having strong underlying numbers as he has three goals, but 6.05 expected goals. So, you know, that was sort of the story with him last year. He actually led the entire league in expected goals. So hopefully he can bury some of those chances moving forward. And, you know, Norris hasn't been the best he can be, but he's still been very solid and should certainly stay on that top line, at least in the top six, I should say. And then meanwhile, Batherson looks like a completely different player as he's making phenomenal passes, is much bigger than he was in previous seasons. And people have even made comparisons to Mark Stone. And and while I think his defensive game isn't nearly as good as Stone's is, because, you know, you could argue that Stone is the best defensive forward in the league, I see what people are going for, at least aesthetically. Uh, And I think he's going to be very, very good for Ottawa for years to come. And getting that monkey off his back, finally scoring on Sunday night, definitely helped too. And then you have Tim Strutzler, who has been very interesting because he clearly has all the skill to be here and and the speed. And his first goal was just absolutely incredible. I honestly haven't cheered that hard for a Senators goal since 2017, I guess. It was just so much fun. Unfortunately, he missed a few games after that. And at times, he's looked a bit overmatched. He's obviously not in the best environment right now, but he's last on the team in expected goals at just 29.49%, which is difficult to comprehend, considering, obviously, 50% is average. Now, that's just a tiny sample of six games, but I'd be lying if I said I can fully ignore that. And don't get me wrong, the two points were impressive, and he's shown some flashes of brilliance, but he'll need to contribute more because they're counting on the fact that he's good enough to play this season. Purely from an entertainment standpoint, I want to, I want to keep him in Ottawa. Otherwise, that's one less reason to turn on the game. And I think he'll be totally fine long term because he's too good to be shut down by other defensemen. Plus, we, we don't know how much this injury is affecting him right now. And it's such a small sample. So rest assured, Jimothy is still someone to be excited for. Now, moving into some good and bad surprises on the season so far, and clearly most of them are bad, but let's start with some of the positive ones anyway, and first on that list has to be Nick Paul. He's been electric on the ice, and he doesn't even look like a fourth-line grinder. He looks like a very skilled player who can skate well and potentially be a strong fixture on the third line. His five points in nine games isn't going to wow anyone, but the offense as a whole has been struggling, and he's been one of the best on the team at generating good chances. Another guy I've liked watching is Connor Brown, who continues to be one of their hardest workers, and he's had some glorious chances that he should have buried. So although he only has four assists, he could have easily had a few more goals to go with that, and that's quite solid for a third-line guy. You know, you can't really ask for much more than that. I do like that you can envision Paul and Brown holding holding down spots on the third-line wings moving forward because... Both are solid at both ends of the ice, and obviously we know that Ottawa likes their defensively responsible forwards. I just mentioned the top line with the kids, and they've certainly been a good surprise so far as well, although I'd love to see them bury a few more of their chances. A final good surprise would be Nikita Zaitsev, which I can't believe I'm actually saying that, but you know he's been much better than previous seasons so far. 
He has a 55.51 expected goals percentage and even has five, five assists as he's looked quite capable offensively. Now, I wouldn't count on that to continue considering the track record is very bad behind him, but he does deserve credit here. And if he can even somewhat keep this up, that'll be just absolutely huge for the team because really there's been no other defensemen besides Shabbat who have been, you know, even average. Then for negative surprises, I'd have to go with Murray just for all the reasons I mentioned earlier. You know, he was expected to bring some competency to this team, and so far he's done the exact opposite. Last episode, I also said that Josh Brown could be someone that surprises us in a good way, but he's actually gotten caved in every single game, so I hope he can turn that around. And lastly, for another negative surprise, you got to go with Evgeny Dadnov. Um, You know, I thought he was one of the... Fr- few sure things on this roster and it's just very disappointing that he hasn't really made much of a difference so far so the fact that he's looking very dependent right now isn't a good sign but i'm obviously not giving up on him just yet after all the craziness to begin the year then what should our outlook be on the rest of the season and moving forward well for starters we know that the playoffs are impossible That was evident probably after the first five games, which is fine because they could definitely use another top pick. The problem, though, is that 2021 is a weak draft class, plus scouting is almost non-existent this season, so there are going to be way more errors than usual, especially at the top. Furthermore, although I and many others don't expect a playoff spot, I was at least, you know, hopeful that they could make things a bit interesting in the beginning. The fact that they're out this early is just... It's just depressing. Dorian talked up his acquisitions a lot by implying that they were going to take a real step forward when, in reality, it looks like the loss of Pajot, DeMello, Ennis, Domestikov, and, De- and Duclair have had a larger effect than people would have thought. Ideally, they would have been a bit better this year and then honestly challenged for a playoff spot next year, but now that goal seems pretty lofty as they'll have to add a lot to the roster next season, and who knows what's going to happen with this you know, spending for unparalleled success between 2021 and 2025, because people were definitely hoping that that was going to happen this summer. And who knows if that's actually going to come true. Moving forward, I'm still confident in a lot of the prospects they have, but it looks like their competitive window isn't going to be as soon as we had hoped for. That can change quickly, as we see a lot of the times with these these teams, but this roster needs a massive overhaul before they can actually compete and then contend. I honestly wonder about the futures of DJ Smith and Pierre Dorian because people are much lower on them just a few weeks into the season, and I think for good reason. Smith has been acting like every bad coach we've had before, although some tweaks have been improvements, and Dorian's scouting, pro scouting I should say, looks just abysmal so far. Don't get me wrong, both of them have their strong suits, and Dorian did a great job with certain trades in the past, but his ability to target certain acquisitions is quite weak. I think both of them have a pretty long leash in this organization, Dorian especially, but if they aren't showing any improvement by early next season, fans are going to start calling for the, for change. And heck, they're calling for it now, so the pressure is already on. Things are obviously going to be more tense during a losing streak, and You know, two or three wins could change people's outlooks drastically, but I'd be lying if I said I think Smith and Dorian are the right people long-term for this team. So we'll see what happens the rest of the way, and I'll at least give them a chance to for the rest of the season here. But, 
you know, it's not looking good. And I sort of wondered, you know, they're on an eight game losing streak right now. How long does it take? How many losses would it take for someone to get fired like DJ Smith or maybe even Dorian, right? If they tie that record of 22, 22 losses in a row or 22 games without a win, I guess, you know, is somebody going to go? Um, that's a long ways to go from now, but it's it's not looking good so far. And hopefully they can get a few wins under their belt here. Now, after the Sunday game, from my Cost Per Point Cast Twitter account, I asked you to, to send me questions, or not questions, um, I asked how you're feeling right now, and I said that I would read the replies to that tweet uh, in the episode. So I'm going to do that right now. There's uh, 13 people replying here. So friend of the show, Beata says, having a great time, TBH, just vibing. Great stuff, Beata. Great stuff. Uh, Tate Fraser says, I have no faith in this organization's ability to convert a pile of prospects and picks into a legitimate good team. I think they are poorly run, and that will lead to them building a team that is respectable, relatively, but ultimately too flawed to actually win anything. And, you know, I don't think people like hearing that, but that's my gut feeling too, Tate. It's, um, it's, it's, not, a, it's not something you want to think, but, you know, just this beginning of the season has made me think that as well. And um, it's tough to watch. Next one from uh, McKinnon. He says, what shame feels like when it eats too much stupidity. So that's what he felt like last night. Uh, next one from Ken Mason. He goes, feeling grateful. I loaded up on every oiler in fr- uh, free agency market in my fantasy league. Turris, Neil, Cahoon, combined with the Nuge and Batherson already on the team, it's shaping up for a good night. So 13 goals last night between the two teams. So certainly would have gotten a lot of fantasy points last night. Uh, the next one from 67's, oh, 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 a bunch of O's. <laughs> Looking forward to being disappointed at the draft. Well, that's um, certainly not something I want to think about. Hopefully they can actually get a real difference maker in the top five this year. And of course, biggest friend of the show, old pal Colin, he says, feeling pretty good not to be at the receiving end of this. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate it. (laughs) And then we have Big Turk. He says, I feel like what Trump must have felt during Biden's inauguration. Um... I'm a bit confused by it, but sure, I'll take it. (laughs) Then we have Kale. He says, other than laughing my butt off at the damage McDavid did for me in my pool, I feel like anyone who doesn't think Yaros was better than three or four of the D on this roster are certifiably insane. Uh, You know, while I wasn't a huge fan of Yaros by any stretch of the imagination, I kind of agree there. (laughs) I'd much rather see him. To be honest, I'd much rather even see a guy like Lajoie. Um, I didn't think he had much of a future, but I'd much rather see those two guys than, you know, Coburn and Goodbranson and Brown out there. So definitely agree there. Uh, Kachuk Norris says, I feel great with an eight. Good stuff. Derek says, apathy dot 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 is setting in. We are years away from being relevant and we've been bad for what, three, four years now? Going to be a decade till they are decent. I sure hope it's not a decade. Then again, that can creep up on you. You know, a team like the Oilers were rebuilding for pretty much like a decade. And and then they took a couple steps back after that. So, you know, 
hopefully they don't take the Oilers blueprint um, or the Sabres one for that matter. But yeah, it's um, not something you want to think about. Next one from Too Brad, Too Furious. Looking back at opening night, it was exactly like the last time at the bars with friends before the lockdown. We had no idea how bleak things were about to get. And unfortunately, Doran is just as capable as Ford. So I don't see this ship riding itself anytime soon. Uh, Again, another bleak comparison, but, you know, I don't think you can fault. I don't think I can fault you for having that opinion. So, yeah. Next one from Jesse Noonan. He says, Dorian has taken this team as far as he can. And you know what? Again, I kind of agree there. I think if this team wants to actually go into the next stage, not even contending, but just competing for a playoff spot, being a playoff team, I think they need some fresh eyes in here. I think, you know, he he's too blinded by certain players and, and certainly has his his blind spots and I'm not sure if he's going to be the right guy to like, maybe he can make them into a playoff team, but ultimately to be a contender, I don't know. I don't know if he's the right guy. And then last one from art. He says, or she says, I'm not totally sure. Just a gif of this guy saying pain. And (laughs) yeah, you know, I can't, can't disagree there. It's, it's been, it's been pretty brutal watching these games. Not going to lie. Like I, it's just not fun. And hopefully that can change. You know, this episode's coming out on, on Tuesday morning. Hopefully the game tonight is different. All it takes is a couple games for, for people's psyche to change. And, you know, maybe you see a, a two-goal game from Stutzla. Batherson scores a couple, something like that. You know, people are feeling a lot happier. But as of now, it's certainly not great. Now, to end things off on a couple lighter notes. First of all... I think sometimes, you know, I was just talking a bit about why it's a bit depressing and, you know, sort of agreeing with some of the people's reactions from last night's game. Having said that, I think sometimes we do need to stop and take a breath and recognize that not every loss is do or die here and that there there are still reasons to be excited about this future. So I know I talk a lot about frustrating things so far and it's fair to be frustrated. Like... It would actually be pretty strange if you weren't frustrated with this start and just everything going on with this organization, especially considering everything we've gone through um, over the past like four years. But, you know, sometimes all you can do is laugh. So, you know, we can't take it too, too seriously. Secondly, shout out to my grade six, seven students who have wonderfully found this podcast. So if you actually listened the whole way through until the end here, Next time you see me at school, tell me that Brady Kachuk is your favorite hockey player, and then I'll know who the real listeners are, all getting A-pluses. Anyway, that'll do it for today. Hopefully that wasn't too weird, just having a solo episode here. I had a lot of thoughts on the season so far, and I wanted to try this format out, so I hope you enjoyed that, and we'll see how often I do that an episode like that in the future. As I wrap it up, reminder that you can find the Cosper Pointcast on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. And if you really enjoy it, you can rate and review the podcast on those platforms as well. You can follow me on Twitter at ShackTS, read my articles at Silver7Sends, and also follow my YouTube channel called The Hockey Shack. If you want to submit a listener question for an upcoming episode, send me a message at CP Pointcast on Twitter, where you'll get any updates about the show. 
Just remember to breathe, folks. Adios.